I'm going to invite you to open with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We're going to continue in our series going through the book of Acts together. And I've got a word for you today that I believe will be very helpful to you today. How many of you need some help in life? Amen. I, I, hope, I hope that today's message is helpful to you, especially in the context of this amazing year that we're in right now. 2020 is an amazing year. And uh, so I think we could use all, all use a little bit of help on our journey through 2020. And I believe that today's message is going uh, to do that for you today. Where we are in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey. They're on their second, Paul's now second missionary journey. And this has been a, a, a trip that has been very eventful, very full of, of God working and God moving and, and God leading them by His Spirit. If you remember when this trip started, it started with uh, some conflict between who was even going to go on the trip, who was going to be allowed to travel on the trip with Paul. And Paul, feeling very strongly, and I believe strongly felt this way through the leading of the Holy Spirit, that a young man, John Mark, wasn't to accompany them on this trip. And instead, Paul and Silas went on this trip together. And as they traveled along, they were led by the Holy Spirit. Paul wanted to go this way, and the Holy Spirit said no. Paul wanted to go that way, the Holy Spirit said no. They came to a dead end. Well, where can we go? And through a vision, the Lord spoke to Paul and, and said, you need to go to Macedonia. And so they packed their bags, they jumped on a ship, and they set sail following the leading of the Holy Spirit. When they arrived in that region, they went to a city of Philippi, and the Lord led them to some women who were praying and seeking God, and they preached the gospel there. Lydia was converted. This businesswoman, this influential woman, this woman of means, she was converted to Christ. The Bible says that God opened her heart to receive the gospel. Still in the city of Philippi, we saw last week how God had led them to interact with this young girl who was a slave and possessed by a demon spirit. And Paul cast that demon spirit out of that young girl. But what happened after that wasn't, a, a, nobody rejoiced about it. Nobody was happy about it in the city. In fact, the slave girl was earning a lot of money for her owners through her fortune telling by the power of this demon spirit. And when they saw that she couldn't do that anymore and that they weren't going to be able to charge whatever they were charging for her demonic fortune telling services, they were very upset because they cared more about their money than the well-being of this young girl. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so what they did was they attacked Paul and Silas. Even though they had done a good thing, even though they had done a great thing in the name of Christ, they had them drug in front of the city leadership. The city leadership had them uh, stripped naked, beat them publicly, Paul and Silas and thrown into prison for what they had done, though they had been falsely accused. And that's where we left the story last week. And so we're going to pick up the story right there with Paul and Silas, freshly beaten, locked in chains in a dungeon in a prison cell. Verse 25 of Acts 16 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and he set, before, he set food before, him, before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. When it was day, the magistrates sent the police. This is the seated leadership that had falsely uh, or, or wrongfully uh, punished Paul and Silas. The magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have, have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned. Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them. This word ask is like a, a begging, a, a humiliation, begging them to leave the city. So Paul and Silas went out of the prison and visited Lydia in her home. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us through our time today to understand that we are called to be a people who are led by your spirit. Lord, we're not called to be dominated by the circumstances of our lives. Lord, we're not called to be dominated by the circumstances of our world or of our culture, but you have called your people to be led by your spirit. Lord, help us to, to, to not be so overwhelmed by the events and the circumstances of our lives, of our world, or of this year, but to solely, singularity, listen to the voice of the spirit you're leading in our lives that we would be a people who are salt and lights, even in the midst of this dark and dying world. The light is Jesus Christ. You have called us to shine for him. Help us through the power of your spirit to renew our minds each and every single day as you wash our minds, our will, our emotions, our soul with the word of God, people led by the spirit of God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. This is an unusual passage. Everything going on here is strange. This, no, undoubtedly, if any of us found ourselves in the same situation as Paul and Silas, 
we would say this was the worst day of our lives. I've never been stripped naked publicly. I've never been beaten with rods before. I've never been thrown into prison. If those things had happened to me, I would say that was a bad day. Amen? I would be complaining, most likely. Probably confused. I have wounds that are unattended to. I need medical attention. I need to go to the emergency room. But instead of going to an emergency room, I'm thrown into a prison with my feet in shackles. Yet what do we see Paul and Silas doing? Complaining? No. They're praising God. Very unusual. Very unusual. Can, can we admit that that is unusual? Just look at what happens in your life when someone cuts you off in traffic and how badly you respond to that. How would you respond in this situation? Paul and Silas praying, singing. They're singing so loud that the other prisoners can hear them. There's an earthquake that shakes the prison's foundations so that all of the doors are opened and their prison bonds are loosed. The guard is about to kill himself. But Paul and Barnabas say, let's stop him. Even though for certain they could have now escaped, they, for some reason, are compelled to stop this man from killing himself. When they're finally set free from prison, the magistrates say, hey, you guys, good, good news. We slept on it and we think you can go. Go on out of here. You're free to go. They refuse to leave the prison. Everything going on in this story is so strange, so unusual, so out of the norm. And in fact, the earthquake, to me, is the least surprising thing of this whole story. Because earthquakes happen all the time. They're just the course of natural events. I mean, an earthquake could hit anywhere at any moment. It's just an earthquake. Them singing and praising God, them stopping the jailer from escaping, them, or killing himself, them themselves not escaping, and then when they are free to go, they don't leave? This is strange behavior. If you and I found ourselves in any one of these situations, I would bet lots of money that you would do the exact opposite of what they're doing. And I would probably go away wealthy, if we're being honest. Prison doors flung wide open, you stay in your jail cell. The prison guard about to kill himself and you say, stop. The magistrates, the, the governor, the, the, the city mayor says, you're free to go. And you say, no, I think I'm going to stay here. This is unusual behavior. How do we account for this? What is it that produces this strange and unexpected behavior? Well, again, let me remind you that this entire mission's endeavor, endeavor from the very beginning, who was on the team, where they're ministering, who they're ministering to, all of this has been led by the Spirit of God. Every moment, every step of the way, Paul and Silas have been listening and listening carefully to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You see, God's people don't do the normal, expected, everyday thing. Why? Because we're not filled with the spirit of the normal, the expected, the ordinary. We, as God's people, are filled with the spirit of God. Which is different from the spirit of this world. 
Amen. The, the Bible talks about the, the principalities and the powers, the dark spiritual forces that are at work in our world. We're not full of that. We're not full of that spirit. We're not led by that spirit. We're led by the spirit of God. And so God's people's behavior, being led by a different spirit, should look different from the rest of the world. It should be unexpected. We we should expect the unexpected from the life of the Christian compared to the lives of the people of this world. You see, we are not yielded to the flesh. We're not yielded to the spirit of this world. But we have yielded our lives to the control of the Holy Spirit. We're not dominated by our feelings, our emotions, our circumstances. We are yielded to the leading, the prompting, the still small voice of the Spirit of God. At least we should be. Amen? And if we are, we should expect the unexpected. If we are, we should expect that the Holy Spirit will ask us to do some things that to our natural mind might seem foolish, might seem a little bit strange, might seem out of the ordinary or unexpected. So let's, let's jump back into the story. Let, let's unpack some of this and see how it all plays out. Paul and Silas, they're doing a good thing. Amen? They're preaching the gospel. They're doing a great thing. I believe they're doing one of the most noble things that anyone could devote their lives to doing. To going and to, to expending their lives to teaching and preaching to people about Jesus Christ. To teaching people about the precious name that is above every name and to teach this name to people who have never heard it before. You know, it's amazing to me when, when at the end of this, or in the middle of the story, when, when the prison guard, he runs in and he, and he falls down before Paul and Silas and he asks them this question, what do I need to do to be saved? Paul and Silas, they're not filled with anger about their mistreatment. They're not filled with uh, this sort of chip on their shoulder about how they've been uh, wrongfully accused. and the, 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 the stocks that the, the prison guard put them in were, were very painful. He didn't have to put them in those things. They're not holding any kind of grudge against the prison guard. No, in that moment, they begin to witness to this person. This person who had done them harm this person who had been a tool of the enemy to to hurt them. Paul and Silas understand very clearly, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And so when this man comes in and says, what do I need to do to be saved? Immediately they go into believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You see, they know what they're there to do. They understand what their purpose is. They understand what their mission is. And I am afraid that too many Christians today have lost sight of what their purpose is. What our purpose is as the church. 
to proclaim and exalt the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. Are you known for the name of Christ? Are you known as someone who preaches and proclaims that name? Or are you known for some other name, for some other movement, for some other agenda? God's people must be known for the name of Christ. That's a little rabbit trail. A young slave girl set free from demonic possession. They're not celebrated for what they did, though they did a great thing. They're falsely accused, unlawfully beaten, and thrown into prison. And they respond. How do they respond? Not by complaining, not by worrying what's going to happen to us in the morning, not by getting angry. They're trampling all over our rights. I have rights as a Roman citizen. That's not how they respond. They respond by looking up to God. They respond by singing His praise, by worshiping Him, by exalting Him, by magnifying Him. You see, they take their eyes off of their situation, they take their eyes off of their circumstance, and they put their eyes where our eyes should always be as God's people. As Paul says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. They begin to worship, their hearts filled with joy, their hearts filled with celebration because they know the truth. You understand? They know their truth. They know the truth. And because they know the truth, they're not phased by their circumstance. Though they're not in a good circumstance, right? This is bad, what's going on in their lives. But they're not phased by it. They don't let what's going on around them get inside of them. Do you see, what, do you see that? There are bad things happening to them. There are bad things happening around them, but they don't let those things inside of them because they are filled with the Spirit of God. They're filled with the truth of God's Word. Jesus put it this way, John 8, 31 and 32. If... You abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Even though they are bound by chains physically, their souls are free spiritually. And because their souls have been set free by the truth of God and his word and his gospel, even though they are bound physically, they are free to worship God with everything that they have in the midst of a terrible situation. And so what is the truth that they know? Well, they know the truth of God's word. They know it very clearly. They know that God is sovereign. And you need to know that truth. God is sovereign. He rules and reigns over all people, all times, all spaces, Every single circumstance of life, personally, communally, in our city, in our nation, in our world, God reigns supreme. The scripture declares it to us so clearly that God is sovereign. 
And so Paul and Silas in jail, though it is an attack of the enemy, they know clearly that God is in control. They understand this. They, they know that God hasn't lost control of the situation. That things have not spiraled outside of his sovereign rule and reign. Though things are bad, though their, their future may be uncertain in this world, God holds it all together. They know this. They also know that not only is God sovereign, but that God is also good. Amen. That he is even better than good. That he is righteous. That he is holy. That he is morally perfect. That everything he does is always right all the time. Period. And so they have this unwavering, unshakable confidence, even in the midst of horrible circumstances, that this is right where God wants them. Do you have that same sense in your life? In the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of confusing circumstances, that even though you might not see what God sees, even though you might not understand that you know the truth, that God is sovereign and that God is good. We need to reassure our hearts with these truths. That's what worship does for us. That's what worship does. It helps remind us of the truth that God is sovereign and that God is good. So they're not worried, not in the least bit. Because they know that God can do whatever he wants, however he wants, at any time that he wants. They understand this completely because they know the word of God. And so they don't have to succumb to the fear, the anxiety, the worry, the doubt, the unbelief. They don't have to succumb to those things because they know the truth of God's word. And what worship does for us is it helps remind us in singing God's praises, it helps remind us of the truth of God's word. You see, as Christians, we rejoice in this glorious truth that God is sovereign and controls every circumstance of life. And that whatever God does is always good and always perfect. They've seen God bring good results out of bad circumstances time and time and time again. And so they can look to the past and say, God did it then, God can do it now. They, they know that God is in control. They can steady their hearts with these things, with these truths. And in the midst of hard times and difficult seasons and confusing circumstances, we as believers must steady our souls with the truth that God is sovereign and that God is good. Psalms 31, 34, verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is an amazing psalm. It teaches us that praising God is, is not a result of the circumstances that we're in. That praising God has nothing to do with our circumstances and everything to do with our will. The psalmist says, I will bless the Lord. I will praise the Lord at all times. You see, praising God is an act of your will. 
It's something that you choose to do. It's something that you decide to do. It's something that you do when you feel good. It's something you do when you feel bad. I will bless the Lord. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Is that your declaration today? Make this your declaration. Start every day with this declaration. I will praise the Lord today, at all times today. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Man, think about how much harm we would save ourselves from, how much heartache, how much pain, how much foolishness and folly we would save ourselves from if what was constantly on our lips was the praises of God. Not the condemnation of everyone and anything else, not complaining about our circumstances, but praising God. It's an act of your will, not of your emotions. Whether you feel like it or not, we must praise the Lord. We must magnify the Lord. Magnifying the Lord means we place our eyes on Him, that we make Him big in our lives. You see, whatever we focus on will dominate our soul, will dominate our thoughts, will dominate our will, will dominate our emotions. And, and in 2020, there are so many options. It's a, it's a literal buffet of things that we can focus our attention on. What do you want to focus your attention on today? There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And what we do is, is we place our focus and attention on those things instead of magnifying the Lord in our lives. And the result is what? Fear, worry, anxiety, doubt, anger, divisions, dissensions, all of the fruit of the flesh. But when we magnify the Lord, when we take our eyes off of all of that and just place them on Him and His Word, we're filled with the fruit of the Spirit of God. Love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, self-control. This is what our world needs. Our world needs the church to rise up in the Spirit of God. Amen. And to go out into the world led by, listening to, step by step, moment by moment, word by word, the Holy Spirit of God. That's what's going to make a difference in our world. It's the Spirit of God. You might say, well, I'm not good at singing. I don't have a good singing voice. I don't know how to praise God. I sound like someone strangling a chicken when I sing. There's good news for you. Psalms 100 verse 1 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Even if you sound terrible, there's a place for you. Make a joyful noise. Not a groan. Not a sigh. Not a woe is me. Not a the sky is falling. Listen, the sky's never going to fall. Because Jesus put the sky there. The sky's going to stay there until he splits it wide open and returns from heaven to earth. It's okay. It's going to be all right. He's upholding everything by the word of his power. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice always in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. 
You see, we must learn to rejoice in the Lord. It's in the Lord we rejoice. Again, not in the circumstance. We don't rejoice in that. Paul and Silas aren't rejoicing in the fact that they have open wounds that need medical attention. They're not rejoicing in the fact that they're locked in prison. They're not rejoicing in the fact that their feet are in stocks. They are rejoicing in the Lord, who he is, his nature, his character, his goodness, his faithfulness, his power, his grace, his mercy, his long-suffering, his love towards us. That's what they're rejoicing in, not in their circumstance. Christian, we need to learn to rejoice in the Lord. That in the Lord, we always have something to rejoice in. Even in 2020. And, and it, it should be that God's people are so distinct from the world by the Spirit of God that is in us, by the joy of the Spirit. We should be so distinct from the world. Not having the same conversations that are filled with just so much worry and anxiety and fear and oh my gosh. No, we're led by the Spirit of God. One of the results of a Spirit-led life is joy, is joy. The key to having joy in every circumstance of life is to be filled with the Spirit. Joy, a fruit of the Spirit is produced in our lives when we yield to His control. The problem with sad, miserable Christians is not their circumstances, but a lack of yielding to the Holy Spirit in their everyday lives. Listen, if you're not full of joy today, it's not because of your circumstances. It's because you haven't yielded your life to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's because you're filling yourself with something else other than the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 5 says, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. And we fill ourselves with the Spirit of God as we focus on the Lord, we focus on His Word, we spend time in His presence praising and worshiping Him. That's how we fill ourselves with the Spirit of God. We bring ourselves under the control of the Holy Spirit as we crucify the flesh and yield ourselves, mind, will, emotions to the fruit of the, to, to the Holy Spirit of God. You want more joy in your life? I do. Yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. And look at the eternal impact that it has in the life of this jailer. How, how, and, and, and how else was this jailer, this hardened Roman citizen who his whole job was to torture and to imprison people, how else was this man going to hear the gospel? Yet God, through this circumstance, brings this hardened, crusty man to his knees, crying out, what must I do to be saved? This was the enemy trying to attack Paul and Silas, and this is God saying, sorry, I'm going to work it for good. Sorry, I'm in control. Sorry, I have a plan. And my plan and purpose cannot be thwarted, period. We must learn to rest in the power of God. Look at the transformation of this jailer. Just a short while earlier, this man is in such despair, he's about to take his own life. 
Then as you read towards the end of the passage, it says that he is filled with so much joy and rejoicing. What a transformation. What a turnaround. And it's only by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God at work in this man and in this family's life. And it's only produced through believers who are led by the Spirit of God. And God wants to use you to produce this kind of fruit in other people's lives. But it will only happen as you're led by the Spirit, not by the flesh, or not by the Spirit of this world. Salvation comes to his whole family. This is a, he's added to the church. This church now in Philippi is quite an eclectic group of people, a very rich businesswoman, a slave girl set free from demonic possession, and now a jailer and his whole family. From all walks of life, from all ends of the spectrum, but they are brought together by one and same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful picture of the body of Christ and the hope that Christ offers to a world that is so divided. You see, we will not see reconciliation in our world through any other message except the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the message that brings everyone to their knees and makes everyone family from every culture, from every race, from every language, from every economic position, from every different upbringing, because Christ sets us free. And now we are free to love and to serve one another. What we see is that when we are filled with the Spirit of God, Spirit-led life, it shows us here that we have concern for others' needs over our own. When we're filled with the Spirit of God, we have concern for others' needs over our own. We see this in the, the jailer who brings now Paul and Silas out of jail so that they can witness to his family. And he begins to do what to them? It tells us that he begins to wash their wounds. He may have even inflicted these very wounds on Paul and Silas. And he begins to wash them. And I, I just... Several times in this passage, it's mentioned that they went to a river to the place of prayer. And I can just see them going to that place and this jailer helping them, tending to their wounds. And then in that very same place with that very same river and water, Paul and Silas baptized this man and his family. And it's just this beautiful picture of the love of Christ that the work of the gospel, the work of the cross, takes enemies and turns them into family. And it will not happen through any other means. It will not happen through any other message. It will not happen through any other person. It is only through Jesus Christ, the gospel, the cross. And it's a concern for other people and other people's needs that causes Paul and Silas to stay in prison even when they are set free. Let me show you how this works. Why did they stay in prison? It's because they were concerned about the church in Philippi. You see, Paul was a Roman citizen, so was Silas. They had rights 
under Roman law as Roman citizens. Their rights were violated. They were trampled upon. What was done to them was not only unjust, it was unlawful. And Paul and Silas could have sought revenge and restitution. But instead, Paul seeks to put the fear of God in the leadership of the city so that this new church can continue to grow and thrive without the threat of persecution in that city. Do you see how this works? You see how this, do you see what Paul is doing? So they come and they say, let these guys out. They can go now, just get them out of here. Paul says, wait a second, you can't, you're going to beat us. You're going to trample all over our rights. And then you're just going to shoo us out of here like we're the trash. No, absolutely not. You want us to leave? You come and get us because we're Roman citizens. When they heard that, it put the fear of God in them because they broke Roman law. This, this region, Philippi, the city, Philippi was a Roman colony. And if they didn't adhere to Roman law, they could have lost their status. The, the magistrates could have been removed from their positions, possibly uh, 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 disciplined even severely by Roman law. Paul says, you want us to come out? You come and get us out. And so the magistrates come in, they're shaking and trembling. They say, well, we are so sorry. We didn't know they were Roman citizens. If we would have known, we wouldn't have done it that way. But would you please leave our city because these other people are really mad at you? And, and Paul and Silas say, yeah, we'll leave, but we're going to go visit with the church first. We're gonna, we'll leave, but we'll leave on our own terms when we're ready to leave. And so what they did by doing that is they put the fear of God in this leadership so that this leadership would think twice before they just started beating up on Christians again. Before they just, because they had set this precedent of if you don't like what the Christians are saying and doing, you can just beat them up. And now, all of a sudden, they're recognizing that there are forces that are above even their position, that there is a God who rules and reigns above them that they themselves are accountable to. And not only are they accountable, these leaders, to Rome, but more importantly, they're accountable to the God that rules over all the kingdoms of the earth, the creator God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this, Paul does this. Paul refuses to leave until they come and bring him out so that he can have a face-to-face with them, that he can put the fear of God in them for the sake of Lydia, for the sake of this slave girl, for the sake of this Philippian jailer and his family, for the sake of this new church. And again, it's that when we're led by the Spirit of God, we think about the needs of others more than we think about our own needs. Certainly, Paul and Silas would have loved to just bolt out of there the first chance that they got, but they stayed because the Holy Spirit is leading them, is guiding them to do some unusual things, but it produces eternal results. In conclusion today, there's this question that I see come up as we look at this passage where we see God turning situations around constantly. We see God doing this. He's the sovereign God. We see him do this with Joseph in Egypt where his brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it for his good as he was sold into slavery. We see it with Esther, Queen Esther is She is coming under attack and her whole people are about to be slaughtered. But God raises her up for such a time as this. And and she approaches the king and shares the truth with him. 
we see how God constantly is turning what the enemy means for evil, how God means it and works it for good. The cross of Jesus Christ, the greatest example of that. And here we see again what Satan is trying to do through attacking them. God turns it on its head and works it for good. And if, if God does this so often, why is it that Satan keeps attacking? If God just takes it and works it for good, why does he keep doing this? The sad truth is because sometimes it works. The sad truth is that sometimes Christians are not led by the Spirit of God. The sad truth is that sometimes the attacks of the enemy work in people's lives. Remember John Mark on the first missions trip? When things got tough, when the attacks came, what did he do? He left. He quit. He threw in the towel. The attack worked in John Mark's life on that first missionary trip. Remember the Galatians? They're turning from Christ. They're forsaking Christ. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were contemplating returning to Judaism to avoid persecutions. And likewise today, many Christians do not know the truth of the Word of God. Many Christians, unfortunately, have believed false doctrines about Christ, God, the church, this life, the life to come, prosperity. They believed all of these false doctrines. And so when hardship comes, when persecution comes, they don't stand on the truth of God's word because they don't know God's word. Because Satan has filled their mind with lies, when difficulties hit, their faith is shipwrecked. The reason why Satan continues to bring attacks is because Sometimes they work, but you, are, you and I, we know the truth of God's word. We know that God is sovereign. We know that God is good, and we know that God will work all things together for our good, and that if we do not faint, if we do not lose heart, that there is a harvest, a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of souls, a harvest of fruitfulness that God has promised to his people. So no matter what comes my way, I will praise God. In the good times and in the bad times, I will praise God. When I feel like it and when I don't, I will praise God. When my kids obey me and when they don't, I'm still going to obey and praise God. When everything makes sense and when nothing makes sense, I will praise God. As Job put it, though he slay me, I will hope in him. We must steady our souls with the truth of the word of God. We must not allow ourselves to be tossed to and fro by the winds of culture, by what's happening in our world, because God is in control. He is sovereign. And so I can be filled with joy I can be led by the Holy Spirit. I can step out in faith, doing things that are unusual and unexpected, led by the Spirit of God, expecting eternal impact because God is sovereign and because God is good. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask uh, that you would plant it deep within our hearts and within, within our lives. Lord, forgive us for the times where we have been led 
by so many other different things. Lord, we are to be led by your word and we're to be led by your spirit. You are our king. You are our Lord. You're not only our king and Lord, you're the king and Lord of this world and of this universe. And you are our father and you have called us as sons and daughters of your family. Lord, we know that you're going to take care of us. We know that you're going to provide for us. We know these things and we believe them because your word teaches us so clearly that these things are true. So Lord, forgive us for filling our minds and our souls with anything and everything else and let us, your people, be filled with your word, which is the truth, and be led by your spirit and that we would see the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives, and that it would overflow from us to the people in our lives that need a touch from you. Lord, put your joy in us, that we can have joy in the midst of chaos. Lord, put your love in us, that we can love those who even hate us, and that we can serve others in the name of Christ even those who have attacked us, as we see Paul and Silas serving this jailer. Lord, you've called us to step up. You've called us to rise above the circumstances. Help us to always remember that praise, singing your praise, worshiping you, praying to you, Lord, that these are things that elevate us above the circumstance, that lift us up into the heavenly places where we are seated with you. Lord, we thank you for your work in each one of our lives. Help us, God, to live faithfully for you as you've called us to live in this year, that we would have an eternal impact. Lord, an impact in 2020 that would start here in this year, but that it would reach forward all the way into eternity as we see lives changed and souls saved and, and families transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in his mighty name that we pray. Amen.